Welcome to Books on the Ridge, a production of Mount Zion Ridge Press, home of Books Off the Beaten Path. This is a podcast for our readers to get to know the authors of our books and look between the pages and behind the scenes. Plus, at the start of each month, we will offer readers a limited time code for a discount on the featured book. Your hosts are the co-owners and managing editors of Mount Zion Ridge Press. I'm Tamara Lynn Craft, Managing Editor at Mount Zion Ridge Press, and this is our Marketing Director, Penny McGinnis. And we are having Michelle Levine in the hot seat this week because we're promoting her new book, Brighten Your Corner, which is Book and Mug Mysteries Book Three. We've done Michelle's bio many, many times, but suffice to say, she is a managing editor at Mount Zion Ridge Press, and she's written a lot of books and gotten them published. So we are excited about her cozy mystery series. And her cozy mystery series, if you're interested in purchasing that on the Mount Zion Ridge Press website, we have a code for you where you'll save 10%. And it is good until February 29th, and it's all caps, the word CANDLES, C-A-N-D-L-E-S. So you can use that to purchase Michelle's new book. All right. Now, Michelle, ha, 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 cue torture music. Tell us about your new book, baby. Uh, Well, Brighten Your Corner is the name of a shop. That if you've read the previous two books, the Tweed cousins, Melba and Scylla, have talked about to other characters in the previous stories. They have this dream of a candle shop, and they're finally about to take the plunge. They're getting ready to sign the um, the lease. They've lined up their suppliers. They've got all sorts of candle molds on order. They're having fun running around, getting all the bits and pieces, the colors and the scents and designing candles. And they're putting together a website. And these are two little old ladies. Um, They're members of the Guzzlers group, which is the group that meets with Kai, the owner of Book and Mug, uh, every few weeks to discuss all things coffee and tea and creating new drinks for the, the coffee shop. And so they're all excited and having fun. And of course, because it's book and mug mysteries, different roadblocks and obstacles pop up in their way. Nasty relative, other nasty characters who I hope that as readers are are reading the book, they're they're thinking, okay, is this one going to be the next dead body? They deserve it. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting. I, I don't know if, if anybody has has guessed or maybe listened to previous interviews or maybe read interview that I've I've had on blogs, but I I take great delight in in taking people who totally hack me off and putting them in my books and torturing them for the entertainment of the populace. <laughs> I will remember that. okay let me state right here i would never 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 base a nasty character on penny or tamra 
<laughs> That's good to know. Good to know. They know where I live. I'll quit looking for myself then. <laughs> so do any of the events or people um, mirror real life, specifically your life? And and I have a, another question. Have you made candles yourself? Actually, yeah. When I was in elementary school, my mom got me a candle making kit for Christmas. You know, these huge slabs of, of wax and uh, uh a really tall metal cylinder for dipping candles. And there were a couple of uh, molds to, to pour wax into. And I had fun with it for a while. I kind of wish I'd kept it up, but it's, it's kind of a messy, <laughs> kind of a messy hobby, but I do have some experience with making candles just a long, long time ago. <laughs> well, this novel is the third in your series, Book and Mug Mysteries. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the series? Okay, well, Book and Mug is the name of the coffee shop and bookstore where, at least I intend, um, the characters congregate. congregate uh, Book and Mug is a coffee shop and bookstore where most of the point of view congregate regularly. They come in and sit and talk and gripe together. And uh, as I mentioned, the Guzzlers group meets to come up with drinks and um, they'll drink tea from time to time just to placate Tamara. <laughs> and the three cousins who own the building are regular point of view characters. A lot of scenes are told from their point of view. Eden uh, is the the there are three cousins, Kai, Eden, and Troy. Eden is a private investigator. Um, she does most of her work through the internet. So from time to time, Eden is able to find information to help uh, reveal motives, to dig up somebody's hidden history, to find information that uh, the other characters who are trying to figure out what the heck is can't get to. And then there's a snarky, um, secretive, how do you describe Nick West? Don't tell anybody, but I based Nick West on a character called Stingray from a Stephen Cannell show back in the 80s. So he's got an attitude. He's got a nasty sense of humor. He came into town following Sandra Bailey when she came to town in the first book. He's um, He describes himself as a, a big brother to her. They've got uh, a shared past. Uh, he doesn't really admit uh, what his ties are, but when he has to, he can pull strings and get all sorts of information that just wouldn't be legal uh, for Eden in her capacity, in her uh, sleuthing skills. So there's Nick in the background jumping in from time to time to help out. Uh, Sandra Bailey is a regular character. She shows up in all of the books. She is the children's librarian in town. Kai, one of the cousins, runs the coffee shop and bookstore. Eden is the private investigator. And Troy is the money man. He also has a greenhouse on the roof of the building. It's a big old historic building in the little town of Cadburn Township. And the overarching storyline that ties all of the stories together and 
bits and pieces of this story keeps showing up and moving along in the relationship of the, the cousins is they all have um, Venetian heart, Venetian glass heart lockets with most of them had, have seeds inside of them. They're trying to figure out what the seeds are for, um, what you do with the plants that the seeds come from. There is a nasty pharmaceutical company that is trying to get their hands on the seeds. And Nick and Sandra are tied into a group that is also trying to find information, trying to find the scattered cousins, Kai, Eden, and Troy, were dumped into the childcare system in like middle school, elementary school and middle school. Their identities were changed, their pasts were erased. So the overarching storyline through the whole series is the three of them trying to find out where they came from, who dumped them in the system, if their parents are still alive, and solving the mystery of the glass heart lockets. And then you've got all the, the small town politics and all the mysteries and the nasties who show up from time to time in the books themselves. So. Okay. Is Catburn Township based on a real place? or Part of the geography is. Uh, there is uh, the Main Street, Route 252 in Olmstead Falls that runs along through the, through the center of town with a lot of historic buildings. And I have changed the geography a lot, but Cadburn, the main street of, of Cadburn Township is center, you know, simple, simple uh, name. And there are historic buildings on either side of the street. And then behind the buildings on the south side of the street is Cadburn Creek. And that is borrows from the geography of that area, that small section of the main street in Olmstead Falls. But other than that, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I changed a lot of the, ge the geography. If readers go to my website, they can see the map that I've created. And with each book, I add the map. More stores, more locations of events, uh, giving names to some of the streets that didn't have didn't have names before. So I'm having fun with that, expanding the, the map. So how long did it take you to write this book? <laughs> um, boy, I started working on it very short time after Dancing on My Grave came out. So Dancing on My Grave came out in February last year. So it took me about... Well, two months to do the first draft, and then I put it away and worked on some other projects and then brought it out and worked on it, uh, maybe got two revisions in a month and then put it away and then did the final draft and sent it to you and you shredded it. <laughs> no, no, Tamara was, Tamara was a very merciful editor this time around. <laughs> So in terms of from first draft to final draft, it was about, oh, nine months. But, you know, there were a few months where the, the book sat and I tried to forget what I had written. So when I came back to it, um, my memories of what I had intended to write didn't interfere with 
what was actually there, which is an important part of the, the revising process. So what did you learn along the way while you were writing this book, um, maybe spiritually or by way of craft or challenging your imagination? One thing that Melba kept realizing that she wasn't as nice a person, as strong and forgiving a Christian as she knows she knows she should be. So there were times where she just stopped and said, okay, God, I'm sorry, please help me be nicer because, um, she and her cousin Scylla uh, share a duplex, and they've just been best friends to each other for years. Well, Scylla has a cousin from her mother's side of the family. Uh, Melba and Scylla are tweeds, so they were brothers. Scylla has a cousin from her mother's side of the family who is a schemer and manipulator and con artist, and she just... She expects everybody to do things her way, and she rewrites history constantly. She's a sneak, and it's constant. She's constantly, but Scylla, you don't understand. Why is everybody so mean to me? You know, and she she plays the poor pitiful me card all the time when she's been caught telling lies, and she constantly every time she shows up in town. She's trying to get Scylla to bail her out, to pay her bills, to take over and and run things her way. And in the the course of the story, the cousins discover that she did some pretty despicable things when their grandmother was dying and interfered with several things that I'm not going to mention. You'll have to read the book to find out. (laughs) But... Let's suffice to say that um, dear cousin Charlotte's sins have finally caught up with her. I must have cut at least three, four thousand words of trying to pull another scam. Um, Charlotte getting caught and whining and Melba and Scylla finally letting her have it. And it just I went overboard with the nastiness and stupidity of Charlotte. So I had to cut back on that. <laughs> I know I say that, you know, don't hack me off or I'll put you in my book. I have to, I and I realized in the writing of this book that I had to, I had to stop doing that or at least cut back on it. <laughs> so I have two questions for you. First, did you run into any roadblocks along the way or they could be spiritual or physical challenges, whatever? There may be family challenges, but also there's some labyrinth chests in the book. And I want to know how you learned about labyrinth chests. I thought I made it up. (laughs) I think you did because I've been trying to find a labyrinth chest ever since then. And I can't (laughs) find one. You know, it's really funny is I made up the labyrinth chest for a um, book proposal. Went back when I had an agent. I don't know how many years ago it is now, but it was a series of books set in um, Savannah. And my agent contacted a number of her authors and said, here's what they want to do with this series. Put a, put a proposal together, write the opening chapter. So I had two cousins getting ready to reopen the detective agency of 
that used to be run by the husband of one of the late husband of one of the cousins. And they were looking for furniture to reopen the agency and found this labyrinth chest. And at the end of the scene, they, um, they start digging through it and they manage to open one of the hidden compartments. Cause that's the thing with the labyrinth chest. It's like a gigantic puzzle box. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers the movie national treasure, either of the national treasure movies, but in the second national treasure movie, they found um, the resolute desk that's in Buckingham palace and the white house. They move the drawers in different positions and that triggers mechanisms that open hidden compartments so i made it a whole a whole big chest you know like i think i said it was almost six feet tall and four feet wide and two and a half feet deep with all these drawers in it and depending on what position you put the drawers in would open different compartments well they finally get one of the drawers open they're, they're playing with it and trying to remember how they opened the labyrinth chest that was there when they were children. And they find earrings in one of the hidden compartments. And the earrings have the initials of one of their aunts. And they realize this is their grandmother's labyrinth chest. So that was just a, a chapter, you know, like you're 10 pages long that I had written for a book proposal that, of course, never came to be. So I save everything. So I wanted to have the labyrinth chest. And in the first draft of the book, the labyrinth chest played a much, much, much bigger part in the story. I trimmed a lot of that back. But the labyrinth chest still plays an important part. I don't think I give too much away when I say there's a treasure hunt involved dealing with the labyrinth chest. Well, that sounds like fun. And you mentioned National Treasure movies. We know you enjoy going to the movies. Have you been to any new ones lately? Um, and what did you think of them? Oh, goodness. What's the last one I saw? Oh, The Boys in the Boat. The one about the Olympic rowing team back before World War II. That was so good. My mom and I went to see that on Christmas Day. Okay, do you have a favorite movie of all time? Oh man, that's like who my favorite book, what my favorite book is, who my favorite author is. Can't even tell you what my favorite candy is. <laughs> it's funny. There are some movies that I can just, if it's on and I need to vegetate, I'll just watch it. Even though I've watched it, you know, 20 times, the national treasure movies, I'll watch them anytime they come on. Um, True Lies. That is such a fun movie. I remember the year that came out, there was another movie um, called It Could Happen to You, which was based on the story of a cop who shared a lottery ticket with a waitress and they won. Of course, you know, they they turned it and they just completely changed the whole thing around, turned it into a romance. And at the end of the movie, they said, uh, Officer so-and-so is still married to his wife and the waitress is still married to her husband, you know, but... That movie, It Could Happen to You, was supposed to be the romance movie of the summer. And True Lies was supposed to be the adventure summer. Well, True Lies was the romance movie of the summer. But just the chemistry between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis was so fun. There's a number of movies. I can always sit down and watch The Avengers and Captain America. 
and the first Thor movie. It used to be I could just watch any Marvel movie that came up, but. (laughs) The one with Jane. Jane. Well, Jane is in. Jane is in all. Jane is in three of the fourth Thor movies. Well, that's true. But the first one was the. The first. Yeah. When Thor wasn't an idiot. Yes. (laughs) So we talked about movies and I agree. True Love. True Lies was a really good movie. Not my all-time favorite, but really, really yeah, good. But you could watch it again and again. Yes. I have a question for you, though, that is very important. Have you discovered any new teas lately? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is one. I can't remember what brand it is, but it's called, I think, Masala Chai. It is really, really spicy. Mm. Um, I mean, hot. My friend Lynn gave me this, this, you guys can see it. You can see how tall this, this is like uh, the equivalent of three mugs of tea, but it's sealed. It's got a, a big, thick plastic straw. So every morning as I make a big pot of tea and put it in that thing and some tea, I will add a little bit of milk, but that keeps it hot all day. It's the, it's an amazing mug. But the masala chai is extra super spicy. So like I use like four or five packets of stevia. <laughs> but um, I, I've discovered other than that, no. Lately. What? I've discovered a new tea lately. It's called Coco Assam. And it's got little bits of chocolate in the tea. But it's Ooh. in a tea. And it's sold at the tea shop in new franklin coffee shop in new franklin so you could go there in ohio Uh (laughs) uh-huh you know it's funny i get most of my loose leaf tea from tj maxx in the gourmet food section ah (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's hit or miss you know i can go if i went you know every other week you know one week there'd be nothing and the next week it's like Five shelves worth of loose leaf tea. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, before we before we started recording, I had I had looked up my schedule. I had uh, I've got six books planned for the book and mug series. So, brighten your corners, book three. So, I've got to start working on book four pretty soon. And in several of the books, I mention a town legend. Um, there is a there is a Civil War reenactors group that that uh, runs around town. Uh, at one point, uh, the Civil War reenactor group is blamed for a bunch of noise that turns out to be people shooting each other in in the creek. So, in book four, right now the title is Skeletons in the Cellar. But in book four, there is flooding in Cadburn Creek with the fall rains. And one of the legendary rumored tunnels is discovered thanks to the flooding. And they find a skeleton in a Civil War uniform in in the tunnel. And the Cadburn Township legend is of a Cadburn daughter who ran away to fight in the Civil War disguised as a boy and never came home. So is this the Cadburn daughter? 
And will her, her ghost haunt the town? Find we out. I'll see. Next that April. Sounds <laughs> that sounds really interesting. And uh, I love the Civil War reenactors getting involved and all of that. We are going to have a code that is for the Book and Mug Mysteries, book three. But the books really should be read in order, especially if you don't like spoilers. So I'm going to make this code good for every Book and Mug Mystery book. Book one, book two, and book three. So wherever you are in your reading pleasure, you can get the next book. <laughs> or start at the beginning. The code is CANDLES, C-A-N-D-L-E-S. That's all caps. And this code is good until February 29th because it is the month where we have Leap Day this year. So February 29th, CANDLES, all caps. You can buy it at MountSignRidgePress.com. And you can buy any one of Michelle's books there and thank you and come back next time for another author at mount sign ridge press bye thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening to books on the ridge a production of mount Zion ridge press home of books off the beaten path check our website www.mountzionridgepress.com for more information Please consider subscribing to support this podcast. Plus, receive regular updates and more discounts as our way of saying thanks. Please come back next week for a new discussion with another Mount Zion Ridge Press author. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a good time. We certainly did.